Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this is the reading of God's word we shall continue with our series through this uh, through this book dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor a wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. As it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. And the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts this afternoon to receive your word with meekness. We acknowledge our deficiencies that we cannot understand your word by our intellect. We need the working of your spirit to illumine our minds and to teach us your truth in the inner parts. We pray that you may be gracious to us, Lord, that your word may find root in our hearts, that as we listen in, we may be encouraged, we may be rebuked, we may be illumined 
pray that Christ may be magnified and all glory and honor may go to your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, we continue with our series through the book of Ecclesiastes and like us to consider from verse 4 to 7, the message is titled, The Danger of Folly. The Danger of Folly. I'd like you to see in verse 4 that the fool lacks self-control. That the fool lacks self-control in verse 4. In verse 5 and in verse 5 to verse 6a, I want you to see that it is evil when a ruler promotes a fool. It is evil when a ruler promotes a fool. Verses 5 to 6a. And then lastly, from verse 6b to verse 7, I want you to see that it is evil when the fool rules over the wise. That it is evil when the fool rules over the wise. Now that we have walked through the larger part of this book, we've gotten better the idea of what Solomon means when he talks about vanity. And in this section, we have a second collection of Proverbs. The first collection of Proverbs is found in chapter 7, verse 1 to 14. And it almost reads like the book of Proverbs. And we have the same kind of thing here. And this collection of Proverbs are loosely attached to the theme of folly and wisdom. And so he ended chapter 9 telling us about wisdom in the midst of wickedness. He told us that we need wisdom in this sinful, wicked world. He told us that if you ultimately die one day and you have one life, you need to live that one life wisely. In chapter 10, he transitions from the reality of death to warnings and cautions on how we should live wisely. And he says, if you're living foolishly, you're trading on dangerous water. Let me remind you that wisdom is from God. It is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. So the wise person, as we'll be looking at, uh, as we'll be looking at this afternoon, is not as someone with a high IQ or someone with, with smartness or intellect or cleverness. A wise person is someone who knows God, who walks with God, who fears God, who trusts in God. So wisdom is the ability to navigate life well. Wisdom is the skill in knowing how to live. Wisdom is skill in knowing how to use your words. Wisdom is skill in knowing how to relate to other people. And of course, this wisdom comes from knowing God. The fool, on the other hand, lacks the knowledge of God. And because he lacks the knowledge of God, he lacks the ability to navigate life well. The fool is a disaster in his relationships. The fool is a train wreck in his words. And the problem with folly is that the longer you go down that path, 
the harder it is for you to be retrieved. So this afternoon, I don't want you to think of folly and wisdom as superficial. In the Bible, the issue of folly and wisdom is an issue of life and death. Wisdom is the tree of life. But the fool thinks that he's on the right path, but the end of it is what? Destruction. The end of it is death. And so in this proverb, Solomon arranges proverbs to contrast between wisdom and folly. And here we are given a portrait of the wise and the portrait of the fool. And the purpose of the picture is to help us to see the mirror of the word of God and then make the correct identification and necessary adjustments in our life. Because it is possible for us to succumb to foolishness because we still have remaining sin in us. And so as you listen in, ask yourself, which picture paints me more precisely? Every time the picture of a fool is laid, it's easy for us to think that we are not fools. Because of our pride, we think that we are not in that category. But let me tell you this afternoon, you need to lay down your pride and ask God to show you and to expose in your heart any kind of foolishness. And so we need a sober self-assessment. Lord, help me to see the color, the shapes, the forms of the error in my ways. Because it's so much easier for us to move on and think that we are wise. But maybe the portrait of a fool is most accurate to us. So I'm going to walk myself through these verses. It's, they're not easy proverbs to, to, uh, to preach. But we've already looked at the first four verses uh, where he's observing foolishness. He says in verse 1, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And so we looked at that last time. A little foolishness is weightier than great honor. Small sins can end up having a massive effect in your life. Sin can undo many good. A little bit of folly in the wise can undermine their wisdom. So that a person with great reputation can be tainted by small sins. And that's the danger of foolishness, isn't it? All it takes is a small foolishness to tarnish a good man's reputation. And so what we have in verse 1 is a general universal rule of wisdom. You ask yourself, why is there foolishness? Why are people foolish? You see that in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a false man's heart to the left. The problem with the fool is what? It is a heart problem. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. And the heart of the fool is on display here for everyone to see. And sadly, in the world that we live today, 
one of the things that the world really downplays is foolishness. We live in a society that presents to you over and over again by way of social media, by way of television, by way of politics, by way of even education, that foolishness is not that bad. I want to tell you that it is bad. The things that trend on Twitter, some of those things are utter foolishness. And the world has conditioned you to think that it is not bad to be foolish. And Solomon is telling us how dangerous foolishness is. Foolishness will get you into all kinds of troubles. And then verse 3, he tells us that even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. You see that foolishness comes from the heart. It comes from within us. It is not our circumstances. It is not the environment. It is not the people. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And so you need training. You need instruction. You need guidance. You need salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of us struggle in sin. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, that's the source of our foolishness. We are lured, we are tempted, we are lured and enticed by our own desire. And the wise man here has an inclination in his heart to do that which is wise. The fool, on the other hand, has the inclination to do foolish things. Jesus says, For the tree is known by its fruit. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The fool, in his everyday living, reveals his foolishness. And the exposure is quite evident in verse 3. Look at what it says. Even when the fool walks on the road, he's walking on the road. He doesn't need hidden cameras. All he has to do is walk down the road and everyone will know that this man is lacking wisdom in his heart. So having spoken to us from verse 1 to 3, to instruct us to be more watchful. It goes on from verse 4 to 7 relating to the issue of government. He's addressing to us how we ought to conduct ourselves in the context of the government. You see, let me begin by saying that government in its proper administration is applying the will of God in the world. Government is a blessed gift of God to us. So that without the government, in the home, in the family, in the church, there'll be anarchy. Lack of government brings confusion. And God says he's not the author of confusion. He's the God of order. God says, let all things be done decently and in order. And so, the government 
is God's ordained means in this world. And so we come to the first point in verse 4. The fool lacks self-control. This is one of the dangers of foolishness. The fool lacks self-control. This is the second time Solomon is giving this counsel. In Ecclesiastes 8 verse 3 says, Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil course, for he does whatever he pleases. So he's talking about the king. He says, you should not rush into the presence of a king. You should not rush in taking an evil course because the king does whatever he pleases. And so in verse 4, it's quite a difficult passage. He says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So it's not certain who commits the sin. It is possible that the temper of the ruler is flared up and he begins to, to, to become angry and he commits many sins. It is possible that it is the subordinate who fail to fulfill their responsibilities so that the ruler is angry and so his temper is flared up. And so there's, there's a command there and the command is what? Do not leave your place. And the counsel is what? For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Solomon is telling us, in the midst of an angry ruler, you should not be quick to show your disloyalty. You should not be quick to retaliate according to how you've been treated. So that when those in authority direct their anger towards us, his command is, leave not the place. Rather than rushing out in anger, Solomon says, you need to control yourself. So if you're working for an employer who is hostile, who is hurtful, who is angry, your first response when they are angry at you is to get away from them. And you feel like you want to abandon your responsibility. It's a picture of a soldier who is under attack and in the heat of the battle, he throws away his ammunition and he says he wants to go home. So this is not a difficult picture for us to imagine. But the counsel by Solomon is show your loyalty to the ruler. Don't abandon your place. It's calling on us to be composed, to be calm. That is his counsel. It says, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So if the ruler's temper is against you, you do not abandon your position. Don't quit. Solomon, of course, is familiar with being a ruler. He's the king of Israel. And when the king is angry, the temptation for us is to cave in and to yield. But he says, don't cave in. Hold your position. You need some composure. Obviously, there is no value in being a yes man. We're not saying that when the king is angry, you agree to everything that they say. No. 
You have the example of Daniel, an example of someone who stood firm and won over kings. And so you're far more useful if you're wise, if you stand your ground, if you do not cave in. If the ruler is foolish, he'll do foolish things. And it's possible here that the ruler is foolish. That is one of the possibilities. And anger and pride go together. When someone is angry, it's because he's proud. Pride is manifested in men through anger. Proverbs 25 verse 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. This is a ruler who has absolute power. Back in the day, there was no democracy. It was monarchy. And failure to submit to the ruler may cost you your life. Failure to follow through what the king commands may cost you your life. And Solomon wants us to realize that when we find ourselves under a kind of a powerful ruler, you can have the right attitude and perspective in relation to God. There's no question that the children of Israel found themselves under such rulership. You have the example of Pharaoh in Egypt. He commanded the nation of Israel to, be, to become slaves. You have the example of Nero in Rome. People who exercised absolute power and dominion over their subjects. And Solomon wants us to see that you can find meaningful life even in the midst of such rulers. At the end of verse 4 he says, For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The word offenses there is the word sin. It means you miss the mark. You miss the mark and you become liable to penalty. So that even when the ruler allows his passions to be sinfully exposed, if the passion of the ruler sinfully increases in volume and intensity, Solomon advises, leave not thy place. When the ruler loses his temper, the temptation for you is to lose your temper as well. If your employer talks harshly and, and in a hurtful way to you, the natural response for you is to, is to talk back that way. What he's calling us is don't lose your control over your speech and conduct. Just because a husband, a pastor, a president, a magistrate shows no self-restraint in speaking is no reason for you to imitate their action. You must have self-control. This is, of course, not an excuse for those in authority who mistreat their subordinate in the way that they would like. If you're in subjection to this kind of relationship, the desire is there should be order in the way that you respond to them. You should not retaliate in the way that you've been treated. You should not revenge because that will ultimately lead to chaos. You have a duty to promote order and peace in the family, in the workplace, in the nation, in the church. 
and if there's anything more difficult than maintaining loyalty is maintaining loyalty to those in authority who lash out against us with words that are scornful words that are hateful words that are mocking let me ask you as a christian is there anything that tests our maturity and grace than to be mistreated and refuse to retaliate to refuse to revenge when you have been reviled whether by friends by inferiors by superiors see this is where self control is seen as the fruit of the holy spirit and not a matter of personality because the natural reaction for all of us is to pay back it is to retaliate but you have the example of our lord jesus christ perfect man he manifested this true grace of self control bible says when he was reviled he did not revile back let me ask you is the grace of self control manifested in your life when you are verbally assaulted because if it is not it can be the reason why there's so much chaos in churches at homes in the nation because we have left our place we have not stood our ground you see when we retaliate the floodgates are opened and you cannot imagine the destruction that can happen could you imagine for a moment the loved ones of those who uh, those people who lost their family members in the, in the Shakahola massacre if those people could not restrain themselves and decided that they will retaliate that they will revenge against the government against those people who perpetrated those crimes this country will be in chaos isn't it there will be disorder and as long as you control our passions there's a degree of order so you may be wondering doesn't this approach of self control encourage the offender does it encourage the offender to perpetuate the same behavior repeatedly that could be possible but in spite of that it is a command given by god for order to exist in the society in homes in churches in government people must exercise self control self control is important because we cannot imagine the extent of what our anger can do proverbs 16 verse 32 says whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city you see the one who learns to submit to exercise self control is the one who is in control is the one who can govern himself so if they cannot govern themselves how can they govern others let me also say that the grace of self control does not mean that there's no place for us to come back and discuss the matters that caused the disagreement self control waits for the best time to communicate self control does not mean that we cannot feel the wrath of the offender you have the example of david he fled the wrath of Saul our lord jesus christ commanded the apostles to flee the wrath of the magistrates 
And so we are to defend ourselves against physical attacks. And sometimes at home, sinful anger may flare up. And it may be wise for you to walk away. There may be situations for you to stay away from visible anger. To humbly walk away. Humbly excuse yourself. Because this may be a way to prevent retaliation. There may be cases when we may not walk away. And we seek to address the matters later on. Nevertheless, self-control is that fruit. Which should be evident in the life of a Christian. Listen to the response of Saul to David. When David did not retaliate against him. Remember that David had an opportunity to, 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 to revenge and to kill Saul. This is what Saul says in First Samuel chapter 24, verse 17. He says, he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Saul says, You have rewarded me with good, even though I have done evil against you. In First Samuel chapter 26, verse 21, listen to what Saul also says. He says, I have seen, return my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. <clears throat> Think for a moment that God, who is holy and righteous, the Bible says that he is angry with sinners every day. He has spared you thousands of times. Because our offenses against him are countless. And you, dear child of God, you have a heart that has been touched by grace and mercy. And you cannot help but be humble before God. Be humble towards your offenders rather than retaliating in vengeance. God's grace make, makes us to be servants, to heal a relationship, rather than being avengers to destroy a relationship. Even when others grievously mistreat us, we take the place of a humble servant like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's the call for us to stand firm. Not always will you need to open your mouth to defend yourself. Sometimes you need to shut up in the heat of anger. There's a spiritual application here which can be drawn. Because we have sinned against God, because we have failed to live up to his standard, there's no doubt that our sin flares up the anger of God. But the wise person does not run away from responsibility, isn't it? Someone says, you don't leave your place. You don't run away from responsibility. If you have sinned against God, go to him. Repent of your wickedness. Because God is faithful and just to forgive you. The tragedy is, there are many people who are lost in this world, but they do not want to take responsibility for their sins. They do not want to go to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Wise people do not quit. 
they take responsibility for their sins, they make adjustments in their life. They look at things in light of scripture. They learn lessons. They mature. They keep growing. Wise people do not give up when the going gets tough. And so there is great danger in foolishness, brethren. Stay away from it. Then secondly, it is evil when a ruler promotes a fool. It is evil when a ruler promotes a fool. Look at verse 5 to verse, to verse 6a. There is, in, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. So, we'll attach the, this point to, to the beginning of verse 6. Folly is set in many high places. So, there is a mixed up reality here. And Solomon calls this an evil. That sometimes the person who is to be promoted is not. And sometimes the person who is not to be promoted is. And Solomon is saying it's possible for you to have meaningful existence in life even when that happens. It is possible to live a fulfilled, meaningful life in the midst of that context. Even though God is sovereign over who comes to power, just because God permits evil rulers to rise to power does not mean that he approves of them. So that when a ruler promotes his cronies, cronies who are foolish, to places of authority, God sees that and he says what? It is evil. When you have people who are corrupt, people caught up in all kinds of scandals, people who are crooked, people who cannot even take care of themselves, take care of their families, they rise to power. And their ungodly lifestyle is promoted. God calls that evil. And what you have in churches today is churches promoting businessmen, wicked people, to offices of authority. Yet there are clear qualifications for those offices. When that happens, God calls that evil. And so you have the case of a foolish ruler here. This is, I guess this is not something surprising to you because this is what you see every day. Fools in high places. People, wrong people in places of power. And, and, and rulers make this mistake. They put their foolish favorites over those who are qualified to do the job. And sadly, one foolish mistake may end up destroying the ruler's perfumer's ointment. They have lifted folly and lowered wisdom. And so you have people who are incompetent at the top. While people who are competent, they are at the bottom. And Solomon says, you are seeing things that are backward. And you see, you don't need to go to the slums to find folly. You can find them in high places. You can find them in the state house. And just because someone has power doesn't mean that they are prudent. Don't assume that prudence comes automatically with positions. Here we see that the logical norms are ignored. The irrational behavior is accepted. So that you have slaves on horses and princes walking on ground. You see, this is a contradiction. 
Isaiah 50 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is what happens when unqualified people rise to place of power. Foolishness is revealed. I have to say also that there are men and women who are superior to other men and women. Some people are noble, some people are not. Some people are intelligent, some people are not. So that even though all of us are made in the image of God, not all of us have the same gifts and ability. I want you to notice Let me say, you have the example of Solomon's son, Roboam. When Solomon died, he took the reins and he consulted on what he should do as a king. He did not listen to the opinion of the elders. He listened to the opinions of the young men who grew up with him. You see, when you put worst people in places of, 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 of power, they rule with foolishness. Those with good counsel are cast out. Those who are unqualified are exalted. And so you, you've seen examples of this in our country. Corrupt leaders being elected in offices by the electorate, being appointed by the rulers of this country. And so there's great danger in foolishness, brethren. Stay away from it. And then thirdly, it is evil when the fool rules over the wise. Look at the end of verse 6. And the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. See, folly continues here with the disorder of the social structure. And so the, the horse there signifies power and prestige and wealth. And from the perspective of the preacher, to have the slave riding on a horse is such a reversal. It is to set folly in exalted places. The rich there doesn't mean, uh, at the end of verse 6, and the rich sit in a low place, doesn't mean that they have material possession. It talks about their wealth in wisdom. And so, in the biblical world, there is an order in which things should be done. And that order is reflective of what God's order is. And so there are times when things are upside down, when slaves are riding on horses and princes are walking on foot. We live in a world that says that is how it ought to be. Solomon says, that is folly. When the government is led by people who do not uphold the constitution, who have no fear of God, who have no integrity, who have no corrupt, who are very corrupt, that is not the leveling of the society. Yes, all of us have rights. The wicked can vie for a position. They have those rights, but they're not qualified. 
And so the world is upside down today. We crown people who should be punished. We elevate and exalt people who should be punished. It happens in politics. You see an idiotic fool exalted to a place of authority. You're there scratching your head. How is that? This person cannot govern his own family. How is he given power to govern 50 million people, for instance? These people, they are wicked. They play political games. They manipulate. There is favoritism. There is partiality. There is discrimination. There is nepotism. And people take advantage of all that. You wonder people who are drunk most of the time. People who have serious integrity issues. People who are unstable. People who are not loyal. These people are elevated in places of authority. And so the picture in verse 7 is a picture of injustice. And this is what happens. Foolish leaders. They rise to places of power. While you as a faithful Christian, child of God, they are... Um, they are looked down on the faithful, godly disciplined Christian is misplaced, is mistreated and this is a great evil brethren that will be reversed one day when Jesus Christ returns he shall level and bring justice and so we have a responsibility to pray for the leadership of our country. Ask God to give wisdom to the leaders. We have a responsibility to submit to leadership. We may not like that leadership, but we have a responsibility to submit to it. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to understand the importance of what is being said here. I want you to realize that you have been born in sin. And your sinful weakness is to retaliate. This is a sin that is within us. It has the capacity to explode. And you have no power to cover it up. God says vengeance is mine. You shall not retaliate. You shall not pay back. Someone who has done you wrong. And you cannot minimize this sin. You have no power and strength over this sin. Remember the mercy of God shown to you. That if God will not restrain his anger, if God was out of control, for instance, his wrath will have consumed you. If his wrath will have consumed all of us here. And so I call on you to come to Christ for help, for strength, to overcome besetting sins. Come to Christ to find your peace. Don't look to yourself for strength. The covenant of grace says the arm of flesh will fail you. You cannot depend upon you. You depend on the one who is perfect. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the gift that God the Father has given us. And that gift is offered to all who will believe. And so there is nothing sweeter, nothing glorious, 
than putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in his atoning work. Look to him. And so it's not a small thing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a life-altering uh, event. And this gift has been offered to all those who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I urge you, if you're a believer, there's great danger in foolishness. Stay away from it. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help us to have a fear of you because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Teach us your truth, Lord. Expose our foolishness. Expose the error of our ways. And teach us wisdom, Lord. Hide your truth in our hearts. And we pray that you may help us through the means that you provided to guide us and to help us to be godly men and women. This we pray in Jesus' name.